Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So one of the things that I hear all the time is this. What makes Redemption Church different? Have you ever heard that? People walk in, they're like, hey, this church is a little bit different. I get asked that all the time. What makes Redemption Church different? And that could be a compliment, maybe not. It depends on the tone of the voice. Right? If somebody comes in, they're like, oh, hey, this church is different. You're like, okay, cool. Like, you know, thank you. If they come in, they say, well, you know, this church is a little bit different. Right? And so you hear that all the time. Redemption is different. Redemption is different. What makes redemption different? If you hear it enough, it can kind of start to give you a little complex. You're like, I don't know. Is everything okay? Is everything all right? Um, but when people say this, they go, what makes redemption church different? And ever since day one, I've always had an answer to that. And people, they've never really liked my answer. Okay? Because when people come in, they, they, they see us and they think, well, there must be something, some formula, some program, maybe some event that distinguishes this church from the other 200 Jesus-loving Bible-preaching churches in the area. So what makes it different? But if you've been hanging out with us for a little bit, then you know that there really is no formula. Okay, there's no method to the madness. Um, there is no program because we don't really do programs. And church for us is definitely not an event because we see church more like a family. And so what is it that makes us different? And every time I give my answer, nobody really likes it. And here's what my answer is. Okay, what makes us different? Okay, nothing. There's nothing that really makes Redemption Church very different from all these other churches. Some of you, you come in and you're wondering, hey, what can I expect when I come into Redemption? And I'll, I'll just tell you right off the top. Redemption Church is your standard, orthodox, run-of-the-mill, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian church. So we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in penal substitutionary atonement, heaven and hell and the resurrection of the dead, all of that. So there's nothing fancy or weird about us. And that's pretty much what all Christian churches have, have always believed. And when you come into redemption, what you can expect is the same four things every single week. Worship, preaching, communion, and then we do baptisms. Okay, that's, that's what we do as a church. We worship, we preach, we partake in Holy Communion, and we do baptisms. But you can get that at any church in the world. Right, right, right now, as we're gathering here together, and, and we're, we're worshiping Jesus, and we're preaching the Bible, and we're going to take communion, and, and baptisms are coming up, you can walk into any church, and you can experience those same things. That, that you can get them across the street, you can get them at First Baptist, you can get them at First Methodist, you can get them at the non-denominational church, you can get those at pretty much any church. In fact, if you right now, if you were to go um, down to you know, South America, guess what they're doing? Worship, preaching, baptizing, and taking communion. If you were to go to China, guess what they're doing? Worship, preaching, baptizing, and taking communion. If you were to go to Africa, guess what they're doing? Worship, preaching, baptizing, and taking communion. All Christian churches have, have done these four things through all time. 2,000 years ago, is worship, preaching, baptizing, baptizing, and taking Holy Communion. This is just kind of what the church does. And so there's nothing really different about what we do. It's the way we do it and who we do it with. That's what makes us a little bit different. So here at Redemption, we, 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 we worship... But the way that we worship might be a little bit different than what you're you know, used to. Maybe the band's a little loud. Okay, we preach, right? But the way we preach might be a little different than what you're used to. Maybe, maybe the sermons are a little long. Or, or maybe just going verse by verse through books. That's a little different for you. Maybe the way that we take communion, maybe the way that we baptize is a little bit different. But we still do those things. It's not what we do as a church that makes us different. It's the way that we do it. And more importantly, who we do it with. But, but this really got me thinking. I know that a lot of you are kind of new to, to this thing called church. Okay, maybe you grew up in the church. Maybe um, you, you went to Awanas whenever you were a little kid. Maybe your grandparents dragged you to church. Maybe you went to youth group and you prayed a prayer at the youth rally. And then you kind of aged out of youth group. And then as you got a little bit older, you were kind of wondering, do I really need to go to church? Do I really need to be a part of a church? Okay, what am I supposed to look for in a church? Is it really necessary for my life to be a part of a, a church? And if so, well, what should I look for? So I want to take this idea of what makes redemption different, and I want to use it as a springboard for a, a foundational teaching um, for the future of our church. And so we're starting a brand new series today called To Be, To Be the Church. And we're going to look at what it means for us to be, to be this church. And so if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 15. And the big idea for today is this. Jesus gives us worship to be the church. Okay, but before we jump into this, 
I think it's very beneficial that I actually give you a definition of what a church is, because we live in a day and age to where church has kind of fallen on hard times. Okay, when people think about the church, it doesn't bring up the best moments, it doesn't bring up the best memories, and it doesn't really have the best reputation in our community. And so, so when we think about the church, it's important that we have a good definition of what we're actually, what we're actually talking about. Okay, and so, so what is, what is it whenever we're, we're talking about the church? Okay, some, some of us, right, when, when, you, when we think about the church, um, we, we come up with all these different explanations and these different excuses and these different options that we can pick and choose what we actually want to be a part of. And for many people, that's how they see the church, that it's, that it's optional. Okay, they, they would see, okay, um, life is like this. Monday through Friday, that's when I go to work. Tuesday, Thursday, I have college classes. Friday nights, hanging out with a friend. Saturday, you know, we, we take the kids to the park. And Sunday, Sunday, if we have time or if we feel like it, then maybe, then maybe we'll go to church. That's how most people tend to view church. That's your basic Southeast Texas Bible Belt believer view of church, that for them, church is optional. Now, on the other hand, you have some people who are really hip and arty and cool and progressive, and they'll come up with all these different excuses and reasons that they don't need to be you know, a part of a church or belong to a church or, or um, have any sort of responsibility. And so they'll come up with things like, well, I don't really need to go to church because I am the church. And wherever I go, that's where I'm at, and that's where Jesus is with me. And so, so I don't really need to belong to a church. I just kind of hang out with my buddies. You know, we get together, and we, we drink a couple of beers at the bar. And for us, that's our church. You know, Matthew 18 says, wherever two or three are gathered, then I am in his midst. And so, so I don't really need to go to church because that's my church. Okay, that's not a church. Okay, Matthew 18 is not a definition of church. Matthew 18 is actually the definition of church discipline, which is kind of probably what you need if that's your view of the church. And then other people, they, they say, well, I don't really need to go to church because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. And because I have a personal relationship, nobody can really tell me what to do because it's personal, it's private. But we don't have a private faith, we have a public faith. And, and so some people will, will say, well, you know, I don't really need to go to church because I, you know, I, I um, download a couple of podcasts, maybe watch some YouTube videos, I sing some songs on Spotify, and I like my little journal Bible, and I just have my quiet time with the Lord, and so I don't really need to go to church because, because that's, that's my church. Okay, you know what? I love podcasts. Okay, I love Spotify. I, I love my ESV journaling Bible. But you know who doesn't love those things? Jesus. See, Jesus, he didn't live for a podcast. Jesus didn't die for your Spotify and your favorite bands. Jesus didn't rise and Jesus isn't coming back for your ESV journaling Bible. You know what he's coming back for? You know what he's coming back for? The church. So it's probably important that you're actually a part of one. See, Augustine, the early church father, he says, no man can have God as father without having the church as mother. And so it's very important for us to get this right. Because most people, they, they tend to think about the church as it's, it's a place that you go rather than a people to belong to. That it's something that you do rather than it's someone and something that you are. So what does it mean for us to actually be the church. One of the best definitions that I've read is by a guy named Mark Driscoll out of a book called Vintage Church. Um, and and it's, the, it's the best definition that I've read. Um, and this is how he defines what a local church is. Okay, the local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're going to talk a lot about that today. That Jesus is Lord. That you put your hope, your trust, your faith in Jesus. That he brings you from death to life. And that he becomes your Lord. And then all of your life is lived in submission to him. Because Jesus is our Lord, our God, our Savior, Christ and King. Okay, so first, Jesus is Lord in obedience. Not suggestion, not recommendation, not maybe if you feel like it. Obedience. To the scriptures, they organize under qualified leadership. So this is pastors and elders. This is deacons. This is church membership. These are volunteers. So there's an organized leadership. And then he lists four things. I bet you'll never guess what the four things are. Okay. Worship and preaching. Observing the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. And they're unified by the Spirit and their discipline for holiness. And then they scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and their joy. And so these are the biblical marks of um, what a true church is supposed to be. But because that definition is a little bit lengthy, I want to make it super simple and short. So our working definition of a church for this series is this. Jesus's people gathered together for Jesus's purpose. That we are together Jesus' people. That we belong to Jesus. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. And we live for Jesus. And because we live for Jesus, we also live for Jesus' purpose. And so we're going to do this series. And so the big idea starting off is this. One of the purposes of the church is that the church worships. 
So Jesus gives us worship to be the church. So in your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, that's where we're going to get started. And if you're taking notes, okay, I have three points for you today. So get out your pen. Let's write them down. One, two, three. Okay, worship matters. Worship gathers. Worship scatters. Okay, that's it. Worship matters. Worship gathers. Worship scatters. And so as we're the church, okay, we worship because worship matters. Here's what he says in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Okay, we're just going to pause right there. Now, when most people, they tend to think about worship, they tend to think about it in regards to music, that it's the songs that we sing, maybe it's the um, Christian artists that we listen to on the radio, maybe on Spotify, maybe it's the song portion of our worship gatherings. And so most people, they think, okay, that's what worship is. It's about the music. Now, worship definitely includes music, okay, but it's not exclusively music, it's a little bit more than that. And, and other people, they'll, they'll come in, and because you're raised in a high church background, maybe you know, Catholic or Episcopalian or Presbyterian, you might think about church being like the liturgy. So it's the order of the gathering when we come together. And so you kind of come in, um, and, and you know, everything's set up. And so you walk in, you pray these prayers, you read these verses, you stand up, you sit down, do your Christian calisthenics, make the sign of the cross, eat the bread, go home, and that's for you. That's for your worship. You think about it in regards to liturgy. Now, while liturgy is very important, and music is very important, it's not exclusively what it means for us to worship. Here, Paul actually gives a, um, a very helpful word. And I, I think this sums it up. Um, quite great. He says, let the peace of Christ to rule over your heart, that Jesus rules over your heart. All of your life is lived under the lordship of, of Jesus. And so worship matters because who we worship. Worship matters because it's saying that Jesus is Lord over my life, that Jesus is boss, that Jesus is king, that Jesus is supreme, that Jesus rules and he reigns, that he's glorious, that he's holy, that he's the most worthy, the most preeminent, the most prominent, the most important thing about who I am and how I live. And so worship matters because who we worship. So one of the good questions for you to ask yourself is this, what rules over my heart? Is it Jesus or is it something else? Because everyone's going to worship. Okay, you can either worship Jesus or you can worship someone else. You're either going to worship the s- someone or something, or you're going to worship the someone who created everything, but nevertheless, everyone still worships. And so the question we must ask ourselves is this. What is it that rules? What is it that rules our heart? That's what it is that you worship. And so what we worship, it, it really matters. Now, some of you, you're going to balk on this. So you're going to give me a little bit of pushback. You're going to say, well, I'm not really a Christian, and I don't really believe in God, and so, so I don't really worship. Okay? Yes, you do. Okay, you do believe in God. You do worship. And I would submit that you're actually really good at worshiping that God. The only problem is it's, it's the wrong God. See, the opposite of worship is not atheism or unbelief. The opposite of worship is actually idolatry taking someone or something and then elevating that to the place of Lord and God and allowing it to rule over your life, trusting in that to give you the peace that only Jesus can provide. The opposite of worship is not atheism or unbelief. The opposite of worship is idolatry. You need to note this, okay, that worship is not what you do. Worship is who you are, that God has created you and God has designed you as a worshiper. You're always worshiping constantly, unceasingly, continuously. You're worshiping. The question is, What or who are you worshiping? That's the important question because worship matters and what matters is the way that we worship. This is bedrock for how we understand and see ourselves here at the church. That that worship includes all of our life, all of our existence. That's what it means for us to worship. And so it defines who we are. And so if somebody comes to me and they they say, hey, Byron, I'm, I'm having a problem. Okay, I want you to know that all of the problems in our life can be traced back to who or what we worship. All the things that we experience, all the problems that we have, all the proclivities that are in our life can all be traced back to what or who it is that we, we worship. Okay, so if you come to me and say, I have a drug problem, okay, that's a big problem. That you can't quit smoking weed, you know, doing meth and partying with your friends and getting involved in the wrong crowds, okay, that's a big problem. Okay, but I would suggest that it's not just a drug problem, I would suggest that it's actually a worship problem. That you're, you're, you're substituting the peace that Jesus provides for something else. See, all of our problems can be reverse engineered back to this. What rules your heart? And this is not to diminish or to demean anything that you've gone through or anything that you experience, but like a good doctor, instead of treating the symptoms, I want to treat the source. And the source is, the source is your worship. So low self-esteem, people-pleasing, all of those things, right? All of those things are actually worship problems. 
If someone comes and says, I have a drinking problem, that's a big problem. But the problem is not alcohol, the problem is your worship. Okay, if, if, it's a, if it's a problem in your marriage, okay, marriage problems are, are worship problems with marital implications. Okay, everything comes down to this. What rules your heart? What are you looking for? What are you trusting in to be able to save you or to be able to give you the peace? Either Jesus is Lord or someone or something else will be Lord of your life. And some of you right now, you're thinking, well, I don't really have any problems. Oh, but you do. Okay, your problem is pride, and that's the worst problem of all, right? Because you, essentially, you become your own God. You worship yourself in the mirror, and then you expect everyone else to bow down to you. That's the worst sin of them all, and you're trusting in yourself as God. You are worshiping someone or something. So the question is, what rules your heart? What are you trusting in to save you, to give you peace? Martin Luther, the, the great reformer, he says that the heart is an idol factory, that we love to create, and we love to come up with all of these new gods, now, in the Bible, the false gods, they were called things like Ashereth and Molech. And we worshipped you know, men like Xerxes and Pharaoh. And we think, well, we don't really have those things today, so we don't, we don't really worship false gods and idols. Okay, we do, they just go by different names. They, they go by you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. They go by boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, kids, right? job satisfaction, financial portfolios, vacation destinations. Those are the things that we trust in to become our gods. We look to them to save us and to give us the peace that only Jesus provides. So the question is, what is your Lord? See, what you worship matters because it determines your value, your identity, your worth, it determines the way that you live when you answer this question, what do I worship? What rules over my heart? Let me be very clear with you, Redemption, okay, just so that nobody misses this. Okay, um, all other religions do not save. All other gods do not save. All other idols do not, will not save. People, places, things won't save. Other people's opinions, your GPA, right, your, your resume will not, cannot save you. Good works, good deeds, good vibes, good intentions, best interests cannot, will not save you. There are false gods, there are false idols, and they will lead you trusting in them on a one-way ticket to the path of the wrath of God. They don't save. And some of you think, no, not Jesus. Jesus wouldn't do those things. Jesus is soft. Jesus is sweet. Jesus is kind and cuddly. Jesus would never say those things. Yes, Jesus said those things. Jesus said, I am God, and no one can come to the Father but by me. And so some see Jesus, he came the first time as a suffering servant, that Jesus lived to die. But that's not the Jesus that we worship anymore, that Jesus isn't hanging on a cross, that Jesus isn't lying in a tomb, but Jesus is resurrected and ascended, and Jesus is king because Jesus Jesus is seated on a throne, and Jesus is on a throne. He's not in humility, but instead he is in authority, that Jesus is high, he's exalted, he's lifted up as the King of kings, Lord of lords, that he's worthy of all of our worship because Jesus alone is king. Now that's a good thing because Jesus is a good king, and Jesus is saying to us today that if you come to me, I'll welcome you. That if you give me your sin, I'll give you myself. If, if you give me your idolatry, I'll give you a new identity. If you give me your problems, hey, I'll give you my peace. See, Jesus is king, and that's a good thing because Jesus is a good king. And when we trust in him, he rules and he reigns with peace as the Lord of our life. See, worship matters because of who you worship. So Paul first says, as Christians, we worship the Lord. And he gives us peace that rules over our hearts. So because of this worship, what are we to do next? Well, Paul also tells us that worship gathers. In verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and, and be thankful. Now, this idea of the body, it permeates throughout all of Paul's writings. Over and over again through the New Testament, Paul just keeps hitting this big idea. The body, the body, the body, the body. Okay, 
That's his big favorite metaphor and illustration in regards to the church. So think about it like this. Okay, you have a body, right? And your body is made up of different members. And the members working together is kind of what makes your body actually work. So you have, you know, 10 fingers, 10 toes, two arms, two legs. You got a head, right? Some of you have hair, some of you not so much hair. But nevertheless, right, you, you all have a body and you're very appreciative of the members that you have. And that's the way that Paul speaks about a church that the church is the body of Christ and we're all working together, then we are able to step into the fullness and to experience the life that God has already created, that we are together as a body. And, and so because you belong to Jesus, well, then you also belong with Jesus's people. And, and if you're disconnected, right, then you're not living to the full purpose and potential of what God has actually created you to be because you're not a part of the body. Now, listen, this is not very popular, but I need to say this. Okay, you can be a Christian by yourself, but you cannot be the church without other people. So you can be a Christian by yourself, but in order for you to be the church, you actually need to be surrounded by Jesus' people. God did not create you to be disconnected. God did not create you to be dismembered. Okay, And when we're disconnected and dismembered, guess what we are? We're actually being disobedient. Because God has designed us to be not in isolation, not in separation, but rather in community that God has created us and he's called us together so that way we can be surrounded by Jesus's people, living for Jesus's purpose. And that's what Paul talks about, how we live in one body. You can be a Christian by yourself, but you can't be the church without other people. And this is one of the things that frustrates me to almost no end about the modern evangelical church movement. Okay, because, because we become so self-centered, so self-focused, so consumer-oriented that it's all about building up the, the buildings and no longer building up the body. That, that, we, that we become, what about me? What, what do I like? What, do, what are my preferences? And when we go to church, we say, well, how can this church serve me instead of saying, how can I serve others? What can I get instead of what can I give? We become consumers and not contributors, and we miss out on what the body is actually supposed to be. And pastors and, and, and churches and, and, and movement leaders, they completely cater to the lowest denominator and focus on building of the bottom line and no longer building up the body. And I'm just as guilty of it. I remember when Ashley and I first moved back to Beaumont to start planting Redemption Church, um, I thought I knew everything. I've had all the answers. We moved to Beaumont, and I'm like, I figured it out. I'm going to crack the code. I know exactly what it means to be the church in Beaumont, and we're going to reach all these people, and I, I have it figured out. I've read the books. I've read the blogs. I've been to the conferences. Right? I watched the YouTube videos. I know what Beaumont needs. And so we, we come into Beaumont, and the first thing that I do is I, I submit myself under a godly pastor to be able to speak into my life. And as, as, I, as I joined that church, that church was nothing like I thought it was going to be. I did a one-year residency at, at this small church here in Beaumont, and, and as I walked in, I was like, I would never do church this way. And the way that they did things, it, it really kind of frustrated me, just to be honest. And, and the pastor, he could tell that I was a little frustrated, and so he would um, give me opportunities. Now, I was young, which is also code for stupid. So anytime someone's like, hey, they're young, they're actually just saying they're stupid. And so, so, so I was young, and he wouldn't let me preach because I was also stupid. But he would give me the shot to, to learn to preach, um, and he sent me to a church in Moss Hill, Texas. Okay, I don't know if any of you have ever been to Moss Hill, Texas. Okay, you probably have. You just blinked and missed it because it's that small. Okay, there's one stop sign, one red light, that's it. And so here I am from, you know, Houston and New York and been planting churches in the least Christian cities in America and we've been starting churches in very urban areas and I'm like, okay, this, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to you know, build this church and then I go to Moss Hill Assembly of God in southeast Texas, out in the middle of the woods. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's go here. And so we drive up to the church, and me and Ashley, we pull up, and it's a, an aluminum building. Um, it's got a wooden cross and a wooden steeple. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is a little bit different. And so um, I, I walked into the doors, and there's like 40 red pews, and it all smelled like burnt coffee. And there was, there was um, six people there, three grandmas, two toddlers, and the pastor. That, that was their church. And so I walk in and I meet everybody. It only took me about 30 seconds because nobody's there. And church is supposed to start at 1030. That's the holy hour. And so um, 1030 comes along. Okay, 1040 comes along. 1045 comes along. And church still hasn't started. I'm like, oh, where are we going to get started? And then an elderly lady, she walks in. She walks up to the front of the stage. She puts a portable CD player on the pulpit, presses play, and we sing Shout to the Lord for 20 minutes. 
Okay, that was, that was their worship. I remember looking at Ashley and like, hey, this church is different. Um, and, and, and so, so that was worship. And then I, I got up to preach and I got up to pre- I preached my sermon while I'm preaching. Man, those people were alive. They were, they were alive. They, they, they were um, smiling, like they looked genuinely pleased to be there. They, they laughed at my jokes, which I don't know if that was, you know, just being nice or not. But, but they loved it. They amened me. They shouted me down. And whenever it came time to do the response, every single person got up, walked down to the front, laid hands on each other, and we just prayed, and we praised the Lord, and we did business with God for about 20 minutes. And as soon as we said Jesus' name, amen, somebody opens up the side door, and they're like, hey, lunch is ready. And they had prepared a full potluck for us. And so I'm like, hey, praise God. This is the type of church that I want to be. And so, so we would go over, and, and we all ate, and we started sharing stories. I started getting to know them. And that church of six people cut Redemption Church a check of $200. That was one of the first people to ever give to our church. And that pastor said, I believe in what Jesus wants to do in downtown Beaumont. So here you go. In that moment, I was totally convicted because here I am. I have all the right answers of what the church should be. We have two people. They have six. They're three times larger than us at the time. But they, they believed. And whenever they, you walked in, they wouldn't let you leave unless you knew that they love Jesus and Jesus loves you. And they would never let you leave. And you could feel it, genuinely, truly know I'm loved when I walk in that door. And so when I went back home and I met with my pastor, I have a full belly and a full heart, and the pastor, he said, well, so what do you think? I said, that's the way that a church is supposed to be. That's the way that a church is to be, the way that they love, the way that they serve, the way that they care, and the way that they let you know how grateful and appreciative of you that they are. That's what a church is supposed to be like. Because for them, it wasn't about the building. It was about the body. For them, it wasn't about the bands. It was about the body. It wasn't about the events and the programs. It wasn't about the charisma of the pastor. It wasn't about the environments. When he walked in, here's what it was about. It was about the body. It was about Jesus' people gathered together for Jesus' purpose. And that's what it means for us to be the church. Now, we gather together as God has called us together. Now, do I want Redemption Church to grow? Yes. Our, our dream is to reach 500 people in the next five years. I mean, we want redemption to grow because that means more people keep meeting Jesus. Do we want to baptize more people every year? Yes, because that's more people meeting Jesus. Do we want to get a building for our church? Yes. Do we want to have an, a great band who writes original music and when people come in, they can encounter the you know, worship and the Lord and we have worship nights? Do I want those things? Well, yes. Do I want a thriving kids ministry? Do I want community groups to saturate all of Southeast Texas to where you can't go into a neighborhood without somebody inviting you to their house to feed you and to pray for you? Yes, my dream is that every red light you pull up to, there's an R bumper sticker on the back of somebody's car because you can't get away from what Jesus is doing in our church, but never at the expense of this. It's about the people. It's about the body. It's about God bringing you and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, into this church. So that way we can live for Jesus' purpose. Let's never forget that. But that does bring up a really interesting question. If the church is about the people, well then what are we supposed to do when we gather together? Well, Paul gives us a couple of principles of what gathered worship is supposed to look like, and here's what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. So when we gather together, here's what, here's what Paul says our worship is supposed to look like. He gives us three principles. The first one he gives us is this. He tells us teaching. Okay, so when we, when we get together, the Bible is to be taught. Okay, somebody says we have a church service, but the book is never open. Worship never happened. Whenever we gather together, the book is supposed to be taught. We love teaching the Bible. Okay, if you're new here at Redemption, we believe the Bible. Okay, we love to teach the Bible because it's the book that God wrote. The Spirit inspired it, and he also illuminates it for our understanding. Okay, we're going to talk about this a lot next week because next week's sermon is all about preaching. But just for now, let me say this. Okay, at Redemption Church, we believe that this book is the inerrant word of God, that it is the final rule and authority in the life of the believer, that it's all sufficient, all satisfying, tells us who God is and how we are to live according to him. We love, we believe, we preach, we teach 
We teach the Bible. And some people want to know, like, well, what's the secret for church growth? Right? It's right here. It's the word. Okay, the, the word, okay, it's God's word, so we preach it and we trust that God's going to do the work. And so at Redemption, we love to preach the Bible. Uh, there was a, a woman who um, started coming to our church about six months ago, and um, she was in and out of church. She hadn't been a part of a church for about two years, and she, um, she saw us on Instagram and Facebook, and she thought, oh, that seems like a pretty cool church. But that's all that she thought we were was one of those cool churches. She'd see your pictures on Instagram and Facebook, and she'd see our, you know, social media. Um, she'd see the pastor with the tattoos and the band, and she'd see all the kids running around. She's like, oh, I bet that's a really cool church, but I bet they don't preach the Bible. And, and she thought, well, it's probably one of those people who are trying to be one of the cool mega churches, and probably, you know, liberal and progressive, and they don't really teach the Bible. But one morning, she decided she was going to wake up and she was going to come. And uh, she, she walked in, and she sat down. I think it was in the middle of our James series. She's like, oh, man, these people really do preach the Bible. Okay, we, we love the Bible. We preach the Bible. And the 90% of the way that we teach here is just straight you know, expositional book by book, verse by verse. So we've done the book of Philippians. We did the book of Habakkuk. We've done the book of um, Titus. We did the book of, half of the book of Ephesians. Right? We just did the book of James. So we preach the Bible. Okay, and so here's what you, you need to know when it comes to the teaching of the word. Right now you're worshiping. Right, right now I'm worshiping as I'm preaching, but you're worshiping as you're listening. You say, well, I'm not singing. Okay, doesn't matter. You're worshiping. What you're doing right now is you're submitting yourself under the lordship of Jesus through his word. And when you do, the word causes you to worship. So when teaching is happening, you're actually, you're actually worshiping. So first he says there's teaching. Second, he says there's admonishing. Now, this isn't the part that many of us like. Actually, most of us don't even know what the word admonishing means. And sadly, it's not something that you hear very often in the church today. Here's what admonish means. Admonish means to, to warn. It, it means to um, rebuke. It means to bring correction and to challenge another person. Okay, that's not something that we really like, right? Nobody, nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. We live in a very weird time in Christianity, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we live in a very weird time. You have the ability to do something today that for the last 2,000 years, nobody even had the ability to do. Okay, do you know what that is? You can leave. Like if I'm preaching and I say something you don't like, you can just get up and you can just walk out. Did you know that you can do that? I mean, it's rude, but you can still do it. <laughs> you, you could. I mean, if, if you come in and you're like, oh, the music's a little loud and I don't like, you know, the lights and I'm... I'm just going to leave. You have every right to do that, right? If, um, if you come in, he was like, well, the coffee wasn't, you know, my favorite flavor. The kids check-in took too long, right? Then you could just leave. You, you can do that. But do you know, um, if you join a community group and somebody's chewing on their pen cap wrong and they get on your nerves and they annoy you, well, you can just leave. Nobody's going to, I mean, you can just do that. But do you know that nobody in the last 2,000 years was able to do that? Paul here, he's writing this book from the city, um, from prison, Okay, not the best of circumstances for Paul's life. Um, and, and he's writing to a church in Colossae. Now, do you know how many churches there were in Colossae? One. Just one church. Just first church. Just only church. Right, first church, Colossae. Right, there wasn't first Baptist Colossae, first Pres Colossae. There wasn't, you know, relevant Colossae, life church Colossae. There was just, there was just Colossae. And so if somebody got into your nerves, if somebody called you out on your sin, if somebody told you you need to grow up, if you got into a conflict with another person in the church, guess what you did? You acted like an adult and you figured it out. That's what you did. You made it work. You would listen, you would learn, and then you would work through whatever your problems is. And when you work through the problems, guess what it leads to? It leads to wisdom. And wisdom leads to worship. See, people just can be like, well, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm gone. Right? There was only one church. Right? You, just, you just stuck it out. You just figured it out. And then as you grew through admonishing, as you grew through challenge, if you grew through correction, that leads to wisdom, and then the wisdom led to your worship. If all you do is surround yourself with people who tell you how awesome and amazing and special and wonderful and God's greatest gift to the world that you are, guess what you're not going to do? You're never going to grow. Your character is never going to be challenged. You're never going to be faced with truth, and you're never going to grow in wisdom, and it's never going to lead to worship. If all you do is leave, anytime someone says something or offends you, or anytime that somebody brings any correction to you, if all you do is leave, get up and walk out, guess what you're never going to do? You're never going to grow. You're never going to get to experience the fullness of wisdom, and you're never going to get to experience true Christian worship. See, we don't like to talk about this, but this is actually very important. 
that we need. We need people to be able to speak truth into us. And so we surround ourselves with people who we love, people who we trust, and people who sometimes can step on our toes, punch us in the nose, and give us the left hand of fellowship because they love us. So first, the church worships through teaching, through admonishing, and then he says through, he says through singing. Okay, some of you are like, well, I don't sing. Too bad. Okay, the Bible tells you to sing. Right? The Bible commands us to sing. Okay, Christians, Christians are people who sing. Some of you are like, well, I sing really bad. Okay, yeah, we know that you sing bad. But Jesus, Jesus has this supernatural divine ability to take what sounds like 10,000 dying cats and turn it into a beautiful melody of praise. So Jesus loves it when you sing. And others are like, well, there's other people in the room. But if we sing at the same time, then nobody will know because we drowned each other out. It's a miracle. And so, so singing is definitely a part of worship. While it's not exclusively worship, it also, it also involves whenever we as a church gather together and then we, and then we sing. And so what do we sing? Okay, um, there's been a lot of arguments and debates and infighting around these couple of verses. Um, Paul says these three words. He says, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Okay, people who are educated beyond their intelligence, they like to fight and to argue about what Paul actually means. He says it twice here um, in Colossians. He also says it in the book of Ephesians. And I, I want to give you my, my best understanding of what um, he's actually saying because this does matter. The way that we sing, what we sing, and who we sing to, all those things, they, they do matter. And so first he says um, psalms. When he talks about the psalms, um, he's, he's, he's talking about the scriptures. Okay, there's an entire book of the Bible called Psalms. It's just songs, spirit-inspired songs and poetry that God's people would sing to the Lord. And some people, you know, they, they hold to what's called the regulative principle. Um, fancy word, just so that you get your money's worth. It is free after all. Um, the regulative principle basically says, if it's not in the Bible, we can't do it. And so a lot of churches who hold to this principle, they only sing the scriptures. And they only use the instruments that the Bible says is allowed. And, and so they hold to that. Now, there's a beauty in singing the scriptures. It's, it's definitely beautiful, and the Bible actually tells us to do it, and it's very beneficial for us. I would challenge you, when you go home, to sing through the Scriptures, to, to pick a, a psalm um, and, and, and to sing that in your own melody to the Lord. It's, it's a beautiful, beneficial practice. Now, at Redemption, do we sing the psalms? Well, not, no, not specifically. Um, I, I would love to actually begin to incorporate some of those things into our gatherings in the future. That's definitely something that our team has talked about, um, but not exclusively do we just sing the psalms. Many of the songs that we do sing are based off of the psalms, and then throughout the gathering, we do read the scriptures through our call to worship, our, 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 our benediction at the end. And so, yeah, in essence, we do sing the psalms, but not specifically as the regular principle people would tell us that we need to do. But we would argue with them because Paul also here says, sing hymns. Okay, now, here's what a hymn is, a non-spirit-inspired song. That's what a hymn is. Okay, when we hear hymn, we typically think, amazing grace or just as I am. That's typically what we think. But you know, Paul wasn't singing Fanny Crosby in prison 2,000 years ago. Um, so a hymn is actually just a, a song that a creative person, someone who's a little arty, someone that they wrote it, and we sing it together as a church. Okay, so in 100 years, Oceans is just going to be as much of a hymn as, you know, He Walks With Me in the Garden, which has terrible theology, and so we're not going to sing that here. But um, a hymn is just a song that a person sings. So Paul would say, no, if, you, if somebody wrote a song, if it's biblical and people like it, then go ahead and sing it. And that's kind of the way that we hold here at Redemption. Now, here's the part that, um, that you know, everybody freaks out about. What does Paul mean when he says spiritual songs? Okay, here's what I believe. When Paul says spiritual songs, I think he means a song from your heart. A song that God the Holy Spirit births inside of you, and then you begin to sing that spontaneously to the Lord. I believe he's talking about a spontaneous worship, and some people have what's called the gift of tongues, and they can sing in their private prayer language. I think that's actually what Paul's talking about. So do we sing spontaneous songs from our heart here at Redemption? Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes someone from the band will sing spontaneously, but you know, you could also do that in the crowd as you're worshiping. When the music gets a little low, hey, if God gives you a song, just begin to sing that out to the Lord. It's beautiful and it's beneficial, but oftentimes what people want to do is they want to fight 
over what the words means. They say, well, well, how are we supposed to sing? The point is that you're just supposed to sing. Just however you do it, just make sure that you sing because God's people love to sing. Actually, the entire storyline of the Bible is a song. I don't know if you knew this or not, but our God, our God is a creative God. He's the creator God, and our God loves to sing. That in eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit existed in perfect unity and harmony and relationship with one another, and they sing. And so Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that God sings. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Spirit glorifies the Son. And the essence and nature of the Holy Trinity, our God, is that he is creative and he loves to sing. And the angels... In eternity past, they're singing. And then whenever God made Adam and Eve the first man and woman, you know the first words out of Adam's mouth was actually a song? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. In fact, the first three chapters of your Bible, some theologians say that it's actually a song, that it's actually a poem. And so your Bible begins with singing. And then as God's people move throughout redemptive history, whenever God delivers Moses out of Egypt from Pharaoh, as he crosses through the Red Sea, Moses, he sings sings. David, the great king of the nation of Israel, he sings and dances undignified before the Lord because he loves to sing. When Mary, Jesus' mother, heard about the, the Messiah being born to her and said, you have found favor from God, Mary's response was by singing of a song. And whenever Paul's in prison for planting churches, he's chained to a Roman guard. And Paul, he sings to the Lord in the middle of his prison. And whenever you flash forward to the book of Revelation in the future, in the consumption of all time, God's people are gathered around in God's presence and God's people praise the Lord as we're standing before the throne. All tribes, all tongues, all nations, all people singing holy, holy, glory, glory, worthy is the Lord. God's people love to sing God's praises. And so when you gather together today, you're worshiping. Worship isn't exclusively singing, but it, it definitely includes singing. That all of our gathering is actually worship. And so when you walk in the doors at 7.30 and you're on our serve team, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping. When you unload that trailer and you stack all these chairs, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping. Whenever the band sets up, before they even play a note, guess what they're doing? They're worshiping. Whenever you're pouring coffee and you're greeting guests or serving with the kiddos, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping. And whenever we start to sing our song portion, you're worshiping. When I'm preaching right now, you're actually worshiping. And then when we come back up and we sing as a response to God, you're worshiping. And so don't just leave as soon as the sermon's over. Stay and sing and worship and take communion because that's worship. And then pray with another person because that's worship. And then we give up our tithes and offerings. That's, that's worship. And then whenever we walk out the door, we get our kids, we get in the car, we go home, tuck them into bed, and then we get up for work the next day, do we stop worshiping? No. Because all of our life is actually worship. And so he tells us that worship matters because who we worship. Worship gathers because we're the body. And then he says worship scatters because all of life is actually a life of worship. That when you leave here, you're just as much worshiping as you are right now in this room. Because worship is about saying Jesus is Lord over my life. Here's how he says it here. And whatever you do. Okay, so what does that include? Whatever. Whatever you do. So does that mean my job? Yes. Does that mean that my, my finances are actually worship? Yes. Does that mean my, 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 my family? Yes. Does that mean my college? Yes. Does this mean the, the songs that I sing? Yes. Does it mean the, the books that I read, the movies that I watch? All of those things? Yes. Paul says, whatever you do, that's, that's worship. So whatever you do in word, that's what you say, that's what you think, and deed, that's your actions, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Worship is all of life under the lordship of Jesus. 
and this is paramount, that worship is not just what you do, worship is actually who you are, that God has created you, designed you for you to be a worshiper. You're either worshiping someone or something, but you're worshiping, or you could worship the someone who created everything, but nevertheless, we are still going to worship, and so we gather and we scatter because this is actually our act of, of worship, that all of our life is under the lordship of Jesus. Understanding this, it will completely transform your worldview. When you understand that all of life is actually worship, and then everything that I do is worshiping the Lord, it changes the way that you see the rest of your life. Because things move from have to to get to. Right? It's no longer, oh, I have to do these things. It's like, oh, I get to do these things. That everything you do is actually an act of worship. So when you go to your job, guess what you're doing? You're worshiping. Some of you think, well, my boss is terrible. Well, you have a bigger boss. His name's Jesus and work for him. See, your job is actually your worship. Parents, when you're raising your kiddos, that's worship. That, That you're actually worshiping the Lord through teaching your kiddos how to worship the Lord. That whenever you think about your finances, that's, that's actually a worship act. Husbands, when you love your wife, that's, that's actually a worship act. And, and, and wives, whenever you, you love your husbands, yeah, you love your husbands, but you're actually serving Jesus through that. See, all of our life is, is actually an act of worship. And when you understand this, it, it totally transforms the way that you see the world. Because you no longer have to do these things. God's inviting you and saying you can get to do these things. So you think, oh, okay, um, I don't have to go to work. Okay, I get to go to work. You know, you're like, oh, okay, I, I don't have to raise my kids. I, I get to raise my kids as an act of worship to the Lord. I don't, you know, I don't have to, you know, pass organic chemistry, or, or maybe you do. But um, <laughs> you get to be able to study and to grow and to, to move forward in your life because all of those things are actually your way of being able to honor the Lord. See, when you, when you grasp this, right, it, it gives you a heart of thankfulness and it actually gives you an attitude of gratitude because you think, oh God, you, you're, you're blessing me with this. Oh God, you're, you're, you're giving me this opportunity that I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things. I get to be the church because Jesus gives me worship. That we get to be the church because Jesus gives us worship and redemption. We have lots of reasons for us to be thankful. There's a lot of reasons for Redemption Church to be thankful. Paul says three times in this section, he says, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. He's wanting you to know you need to be thankful. And one of the number one commands mentioned throughout the Bible is this, praise the Lord, be thankful. It's actually a command for us to be thankful. And I know this is really challenging for us because a lot of us are introverted indie rockers and we don't know how to be happy about anything, but there's lots of reasons for us to be thankful here at Redemption. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you some reasons to worship today, just to show you what Jesus is doing in your life and in the life of this church. And so I'm going to give you some reasons for us to be thankful. Today is our two-year anniversary as a church. Two years. Recent statistics showed that 80% of church plants fail in the first two years. And here we are, two years, still here, but nonstop, Jesus' grace and favor and forgiveness on us as a church. And, and Jesus said, I will build my church, and that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And so I want to give you some updates on how Jesus has been working in our church through your life, so that way we can continue to reach as many people for Jesus as possible. Two years, whenever Ashley and I moved here to, to Beaumont, um, we, we just began to pray and to dream and to plan and to prepare. And we asked the Lord, what is it that you want to do through us? What kind of church is it that we're supposed to be? And as we prayed, we knew that we wanted to be a church that, that would reach the lost, a church for people who have rejected Jesus, a church for people who have been rejected by the church, a church for others who were, were saints and sinners and skeptics. We wanted to be able to reach lost and hurting and broken people so that they would have the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to this good news of Jesus. And so we just started praying and we started meeting a couple of people and we started inviting them together and we started to dream. And we, we started a, um, a, a small group, what we call a community group at um, Bo's house. And about 10 of us, we all gathered and, and we would share a meal and we would pray for one another and we looked forward to the future. 
And then we opened our doors two years ago for the very first time, and it's been nonstop grace and favor and mercy and blood and sweat and tears. But Jesus said, I will build my church, and that is exactly what he is still doing today. And I know that this is only the beginning. So I want to give you some reasons, redemption, for us to be thankful. First is this, community groups. Our church thrives because of our groups. That if you just listen to a sermon on Sunday, you will not reach your full potential. That it's in the context of community that we actually begin to grow. And this semester, we have five new community groups launching. They actually start this week. About 40% of our church is actively involved in one of our community groups. And we gather together, we share a meal, we read our Bibles, we pray for one another, and we clean up and we serve one another. And community groups is where life happens. I actually got saved in a community group. Um, And that's where I began to grow in my faith through that group. And so I would tell you, Jesus was in a group. Be like Jesus, get in a community group. Um, So groups start this week. There's five new groups. There's one near you. We have three in Beaumont, one in Mid-County, and we have some others forming in the area on different nights, and so there's really no excuse. So make sure you get in a group. Um, Second is this, our grow class. We started grow class last year, and this is the way that you can become a part of the body. So if you decide, okay, redemption, that's my church, these are my people, I wanna, I wanna do this, then you get connected into our, our, our grow class and it will be, tell you everything you need to know. You can go from the serve team, you can go from the community groups, and you can actually become a member of our church. It's three weeks and about half of our church has actually gone through it, um, but a half of that, you still need to complete it. Um, so here's what we wanna do. We're gonna make it super simple for you. On March 18th, yeah, March 18th, we're having a fast class. Immediately following the gathering, one hour, one day, fully catered, you can come in, sit through the grow class, ask Q&A questions at the end, and by the end of it, you can become a member, you can find your place in our church. So grow class, fast class, so be excited about that. Our dream is that, um, is that all of you will become a member, because that's what the Bible tells us to do for us to be one body, for us to become members. So that's, that's our dream. Um, how about this one? Serve team. Okay, who's on the serve team? Let me hear you serve team. Uh, yeah, our serve team's absolutely amazing. It takes about um, 30 people to make this happen. They show up at 7.30 in the morning. They unload a trailer. Everybody comes in worships, and then after you leave, they, they tear it all down. They don't get out of here until probably after 2 o'clock. Our serve team is absolutely incredible, and about half of our church actually is involved in the serve team. That is awesome. That's a 50% rate of volunteers. So for those of you who are on a serve team, we love you. Thank you so much. But for the rest of you, we want you to get on the serve team, to find your place, because these people work week in, week out, and we would love to give them a week on, week off. And so if you volunteer and serve, then we can give them a break, give you a break, and we can keep growing as a church. So there's plenty of areas. Swing by the Connect desk or visit us online. Find your place so that way you can begin to serve. And so serve team's great. And then I'm excited for Redemption Women. Um, uh, Redemption Women has um, relaunched. And we have um, Crystal Wortham. She's actually a deacon for us here at the church. And she's, um, she's overseeing that. And she's doing a fantastic job. Uh, our, our first Redemption Women meeting of this season is going to be on March 24th. And so if you want to get connected with Redemption Women, um, we would love to be able to plug you in. Redemption Women exists to equip, encourage, and empower women so they continue to grow in their faith. Because one of the things that we love here at Redemption Church is creating space for women to flourish. And so that's really important for us, and we want you to be involved. And then um, number five, uh, new deacons. New deacons, um, for the first two years, I kind of did everything here, and that's not good. That's not good for you. That's not good for me. That's not good for my wife. And so um, what we've begun to do is we're, we're delegating all of the responsibilities out trying to get a lot of the load off of my shoulders and put it back on to a couple of people who are being raised up as new leaders. So we have 10 new deacons this year. And we have two new ones who are actually in process. And so please be praying for the leadership and for the growth and for the development over our church. And so those are some reasons for us to be thankful, but I got a little bit more. And you're thinking, there's more? Yes, there's more. There's much more. Lots of more reasons to be thankful. And so here's what we like to do. Um, I want to give you just an update by the numbers of where Redemption's at. As we're celebrating our two-year, where are we at when it comes 
to the numbers. 2016 versus 2017. What's Jesus doing? Are we growing as a church? So that's a great question. Some of you immediately are going to push back and be like, well, is it all about the numbers? Okay, well, in one sense, no. But on the other sense, numbers are important. Like when you open up to Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 people got saved. Okay, how do they know 3,000 people got saved? There was somebody counting. Right? They, they were like, okay, 2,999, 3,000. Okay, so the first church, they had their J, and he was probably walking around with a clicker too. So we count numbers um, because people count. Every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. And so, yeah, we, we count the numbers because the numbers, they, they do matter. And so how did we do for Redemption Church in 2016 when it comes to baptisms? Okay, 24 baptisms our first year as a church. That's incredible. At Redemption, that's the most important number for us. We don't count salvations. Okay, God can figure that out when you get to heaven. Um, but for us, we don't bow your head, close your eyes, walk an aisle. That's just not the way that we do it. Um, what we count is we count baptisms. Because when you get baptized, you're, you're going public with your faith. You're telling everyone in the world that I belong to Jesus. And so that's, that's the number that we want to see. So how do we do in 2017? Did we do better? What do you think? Yeah. 25 baptisms yeah. last year. Incre- incredible. One more. That's our prayer, right? One more. That we would have one more every single week. That Lord would continue to do more and more and more in the life of our church. My dream for you is this. One, if you have not been baptized, for you to get baptized. So March 25th, I believe is the date, um, we're having a baptism gathering. And so we want you to invite your friends, invite your family. We want you to get baptized. So that's my first thing. The second is this, that every single one of you, a neighbor, a coworker, a friend, or a family member, someone that you know, they'll step in that water. That's my dream for you. That you will be able to, on that day, get to baptize your friend. How incredible would that be? When was the last time you got to celebrate with somebody who jumped in that water? That's what I want for us, every single one of you. That we would continue to see God's grace through our baptisms. Okay, so um, that's baptisms. Okay, here's another number. Okay, what about our attendance? Okay, how was the attendance at Redemption in 2016? We had a weekly average of 77 people. The average church, yeah. The average church in America is 80. So our first year, we were average. That's cool. Um, So what do you think we did in 2017? Did we do better? Did we do worse? Did better. Um, Our average attendance was actually 88, uh, and that's a good growth. Um, But I want you to see something. In October, we switched to two gatherings. Okay, we went from one service to two services, and we actually grew to 103 just by moving to two gatherings. That's a 33% increase in the final three months of the year. That's why, that's why we're doing two gatherings right now. And so what I want you to do is I want you to pray, and I want you to determine, um, is the Lord going to lead you to, to our 930? Because our 1115 is actually pretty packed, so we still got room at the 930. And so if you can, if you can come, that's your missional act of worship to the 930, so we can start spreading it out. Um, but, but just so you know, the church is growing, and that's a good thing. And so the big question most of you are wondering is this, is he going to reveal the financials of the church? Is he really going to do that? Yes, I am. Um, and so how did we do when it came financially in 2016. We believe in audacious generosity and we also practice uh, transparency. So in the first year of our church, it was the first year you were still trying to figure out um, if you liked us and if you actually wanted to be a part of us. And so the first year you guys gave $90,318. That's actually actually pretty good. Um, The Trends say that you need to have about $25 to $35 for a healthy church, and that's about, I think it, I think it was about 22%, $22. So that's actually pretty good to be a healthy church in the first year. How much did we spend? We spent 89748 So we, you, you gave, we stewarded, we beat budget, but barely, by, by the skin of our teeth, right? The hair of our chinny chin chin. But we pulled it off. We did it. So we practice good stewardship. We, we want to make sure that we trust the resources that you guys give, that we're not out blowing it and you know, doing foolish things. So how do we do in 2017? Okay, did we do better? Did we do worse? What do you think? Nervous? Uh, he clicked the slide too fast. Uh, you guys gave last year $148,430. You, you killed it. You killed it. 
You love your church. You're generous towards your church. You're faithful to your church. And so how did we spend? Okay, last year we spent $128,630. So that means that as a church, we have a resource right now. We're in surplus. That's, yes. I've never heard people get so excited about talking about money in a church. That is insane. Um, so, so we have a surplus. You guys have proven to be generous. We've worked really hard to be good stewards. And so we've partnered with two organizations, and we believe that now, instead of just being church planters, it's our time to start planting churches. So we've partnered with two organizations, and we've pledged to give $10,000 this year to church planting, that we're going to be planting churches... We're going to be planting churches locally and globally. We partnered with the Church Multiplication Network, which is who helped us get started. And so now we're going to be giving back to them. And we also partner with an organization called Live Dead, which starts church plants in the Muslim world. So places like Afghanistan, Iraq, and Iran, because of your generosity, people who have never heard the name of Jesus, now they're going to get the chance to worship because of you. And when you get to heaven, you will stand next to your brothers and sisters from all across the world, from all tribes, all times tongues, all nations, all times, and you will get to worship Jesus because that's what the church does. Redemption Church, this is the best time, the best time for us to actually be the church, that God is good, God is gracious, God is faithful, and he has called us together to be the church. So here's the bottom line, that the church, right, the church is the greatest movement that the world has ever seen, that you are sitting right now a part of something that the world needs, the world longs for, the hope of Jesus Christ, and the local church, the local church is the greatest movement the world has ever seen, that kings and kingdoms will come and go, that nations and empires will come and go, that presidents and politicians will, will come and go, that people, places, and things will come and go, that ideologies and philosophies, all of these things will come and go, but the church of Jesus Christ will remain, and that for the last 2,000 years, you can try to shut us up, you can try to shut us down, you can try to shut our doors, but we will always be here because this is the church that Jesus Jesus built. Jesus builds his church. And 10,000 years in the future, God's people will be gathered around God's throne. And guess what we'll be doing? Guess what we'll be doing? We'll be worshiping him. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.